right, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, right, man. I'm, I'm a bit worried, to be honest. Like, because um, <laughs> <laughs> we've we've what this is our third year of doing this podcast, and there's you know over those over those years, there's there's been rumblings about um, <laughs> a long ball football curse, and, and I didn't believe it. You know, I didn't want to believe it. But then last week, I mean, was one of the worst <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> so just to, I mean, I'll put, I'll do, I'll do my side of it because so we picked our eleven of the season, didn't we? And I, I think in my eleven, um, Fabiano had a, a stinker for Braga. I think he got just like went down like a sack of shit against Tremia, which led to what I think the first goal. Um, I even had a Chico Gerardes in my team, and he missed a penalty. Um, several players in my eleven all disappointed <laughs> drastically, and then I think you know I, I even like I was going really heavy on Boavista. I think I, I basically said they had the fifth best squad in the league, and then <laughs> they get spanked by Family Cow, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean I'm starting to think it's real, Albert. Yeah, well I think it was Dave Pereira who started this vicious rumor, shall we call it, that um. Uh, yeah, that we have something of a curse where if we praise the team, they will inevitably do badly. But it's hard to deny. I had eight of my players played for either Benfica or Braga, uh, and both of those teams obviously Benfica dropped points, Braga lost. Um, I had Danny Figueroa in goal from Estoril. Estoril did they draw in the end? Um, didn't do too badly, so that was all right. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, like you, I had um, Fad Mufi at right back, Porto Menendez lost, and then mm. I had um. My final lifeline was uh, Kunimoto from Casapia. I was just praying Casapia got a win. Luckily, they did. So it kind of <laughs> saved my reputation a little bit, uh, although it was uh, dubious circumstances. So uh, we'll come on to that uh, shortly. But yeah, <laughs> the curse of the Long Ball Football Podcast, it seems it's real. Maybe we should have saved this spooky episode for a Halloween special. But uh, yeah, be careful who we uh, if we praise your team, look out because yeah, they could be losing next week. Yeah, I definitely want to apologise to Bo Vista fans because I think we went too <laughs> maybe too heavy, and then <laughs> that's what we get. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to come on to all those games, of course, uh, in due course. Uh, but we're going to start with some news, Barney. We haven't done news in a little while, but just because there was an interesting story that came out, uh, and strangely enough, it wasn't a story that emerged in Portugal, but it does affect Portuguese uh, managers. Uh, Bruno Lars was sacked by Wolves, and of course, the next question was which Portuguese manager. Uh, is going to replace him. Ruben Amarim was heavily linked with the job, uh, but I think we're kind of in agreement, Barney, that I don't think either of us think this is going to happen. I don't think Ruben Amarim is heading to to Wolves. No, well, there's the, there's logistical factors, like, um, you know, the, the 30 million euro release clause uh, that he's got, um, which is obviously a huge one, and I can't see Wolves forking out the money. But then there's also just the... I don't know, but I think he's, I think he's better than that. He's better than Wolves. Uh, you know, he's, I think it'd be a better job in waiting for him when he, whenever he decides to leave Sporting or Sporting decides to come to the end. Like I, I just don't, I don't see it. So I was a bit surprised that the, you know, he, he was a favourite of a lot of the English bookmakers at one point, wasn't he, to, to get the job and that, that that sort of. I don't know. It's just a classic. It's so easy. I think this, this I is the thing. It's so easy, isn't it? It means it was so easy to link him. But yeah, like I think when you actually look at the situation, he's he's managing a team in the Champions League. Uh, and he's got a 30 million euro release clause. So, yeah, I don't think it's likely to happen. One of our followers on Twitter, Michael Stewart, did ask us an interesting question, though. He said, of all the clubs 
looking like their manager's job is at risk in the Primera Liga. Do you think there's any that Bruno Large could be suited for as I think he'd be in demand? It's interesting. One, well, two parts of that question. Which are these clubs do you think that might be looking for a manager? And which do you think Bruno Large might come back to? Well, to be totally honest, I can't really see it happening because I, he's already managed Benfica, so I can't see him going to a club outside of one that's fighting for the title. And then, you know, you could maybe say Braga, but they're flying high at the moment. And I think um, Arthur George is there to stay. So I think, to be honest, I think the door's probably closed on it and moved back to, to Portugal, unless it is, for whatever reason, to Benfica if, if Roger Schmidt moves on. Um, well, look, before we get stuck into the domestic games, just quickly chat about Europe. Obviously, Champions League is back. I don't know where to start, Barney, because I kind of... I'm very distracted. <laughs> yeah, well, quite, because... Um, <laughs> Uh, to be, to give our listeners uh, the honest view of what's happening, being Barney recording this at 8pm on Tuesday, uh, Sporting are currently 4-1 down against Marseille in what has been one of the incredible Champions League games. Um, I'm sure all our listeners are aware of what's what's currently happening. Adan with one of the worst 25 minutes in goal since I played in goal last Wednesday uh, at the five-a-side. And I put in possibly a slightly better performance than what Adan did, although I did handle the ball outside the area. So he has my sympathies there. Um, but obviously a, a damaging loss for, for Sporting Porto playing at home against Leverkusen Benfica away against, uh, at home against PSG Braga at home against uh, Belgian side uh, Royal St. Galen uh, what do you make of it all Barney? No I think I, I'm just quite I'm just pleasantly happy with uh, everyone's displays uh, so far <laughs> <laughs> Ex- excluding the Sporting game which is just mental I know I know it's been absolutely mental well look it's uh it's a game to write off, I think. They just got to bounce back and try and get a good good result in the next game. Because they make great results in the Champions League. And you know, they beat Spurs recently, so they'll do better again. Porto at home against Leverkusen is an interesting one. German teams we know are really tough. But I cannot wait for Benfica versus PSG. I, I I'm really excited by that game. Um, I'm really intrigued to see how uh, Benfica go toe-to-toe with Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, you know, uh, what kind of result can they get? Can they hold on against that incredible front three? Can they get goals of their own? That's going to be really exciting. And then, of course, Braga got on paper a team that they possibly should be beating, although we saw Porto fall foul to a Belgian club recently. So uh, Braga don't want to do the same. But really interesting games coming up. Um, this get this podcast will be out by the time those games are over, probably. So uh, we will uh, cover them on next week's show, all the results. Well, look, let's get into the league then, Barney, without further ado, and get into, in my opinion... Not just the best game of the week, but the most important game of the season so far. That was what we called it before the game happened. And I don't think it disappointed as Porto laid down a huge statement with a 4-1 win to overtake Braga and move into second place in the Premier League table. They're now just three points behind Benfica. Uh, and it's a result that they absolutely needed, but thoroughly deserved in the end, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think... It was a pleasant surprise, this Porto performance. And it's just the speed they paid with Albert. It was exactly what we've been sort of waiting for and expecting from them, you know. And I think one player who was a perfect example of that that that, that drive and that speed was Estacchio. Was you know, the way he was bombing forward. They really stunned Braga, I felt, with with with, with how, how many players would swarm forward, how quick they, you know, any any little mistake, they they snapped, they jumped on it instantly. And so yeah, I was just like yeah, it was. It just reminded me of the Porto. We we know we, we can see. You know, that everyone was really really up for it in this game. Well, I think Steven Eustachio, I think he has to go down as man of the match. I don't know if that was official, but for me, he he's been 
he's really found himself becoming almost a talisman for Porto. It's funny because I remember a couple of weeks ago I was saying they needed a player to step up and be the game changer. Now I didn't expect that to be Steven Yastakio, and I'm not I'm not quite saying that it is. You know, he's obviously not uh, Luis Diaz or, or that kind of player, but he's shown to be uh, a player that when he gets the opportunity has the mentality to really take it, and he's not afraid of trying to influence games. Uh, it was a goal and assist for Eustachio in the space of five minutes in the first half that gave Porto this 2-0 lead. Obviously, it's important to kind of set the context of this game. Before the match, Porto had been in patchy form. Braga had been in amazing form and we were all wondering whether this was going to be the result for Braga to kind of put themselves on the map. And it was those two goals in quick succession, which both came courtesy of Steven Eustachio in, in some capacity, that completely set the tone for the game that really put Porto on the front foot and really made people realise that, you know, this is still a top team to be to be reckoned with. And I think Stephen Isaka needs to take um, take great credit for the whole result in this team. And he's played well in a few games now. And I think, like I said, he's not some electric winger who's going to run around 10 players and, and, and put the ball in the back of the net. But he's chipping in with goal contributions. You know, what more can you ask? And I think it's fair to say that he's inspiring players around him to up their game as well because uh, it was a much better performance for me Barney I think when you when you really when you're really honest about this game Porto were a better team for I would say 70 out of the 90 minutes for me I mean Braga had a good 15-20 minutes at the beginning of the second half that's when they got their goal and I thought credit to them because they were obviously 2-0 down disappointed to go 2-0 down uh, and wanted a response in that second half which they did but then Outside of that that brief period, I think Porto were much the better team. They looked like a team uh, who should be second in the table fighting for the title. And they really impressed me. And I think, you know, obviously we've talked about inconsistencies over the season. The important thing now is that they back up this great result with consistent performances. But in my opinion, there was a lot to be positive about. And I came, my takeaway from this game was almost, you know, that Porto are kind of back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we can get too carried away, but I think it, 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 there'll be a huge confidence boost for a lot of these players. I thought Evan Ilson, great for him to get his goal. You know, he he's, he's, he's needed that. And he looks he looks a lot bright in this game, to be fair. You know, I thought Taremi was absolutely fantastic again. But then, you know, even Bruno Costa, you know, getting the start on that sort of right-hand side. And I thought that was a smart move from Conscious because it sort of, I think it was he was put in to sort of try and nullify Ricardo Horta, Sicaria, you know, give a little bit of extra protection to um, Conchasau at right back, and yeah, I think that was a, a really good move. And, and on Rodrigo Conchasau, sorry, I think I think he's worth highlighting really because he he's been all right, hasn't he? And and considering his contribution to Moran's last season, you know, a team that got relegated, nothing really to write home about. He hasn't looked out of place really in this Porto team. So he's, he's been a, he's been a good option for them just to give Jao Mario a, a rest here and there. I want to come back to what you said about Mediterranean. I think Mediterranean had uh, an interesting game because obviously he didn't get on the score sheet himself, but he made a big impact on the game. And I think a lot of people, he, whenever Mediterranean plays, it just seems like the whole of Portuguese football Twitter is talking about him. You know, whether that's Porto fans singing his praises or or opposition fans kind of criticising some, perhaps some of his antics. And there was a predictable moment in this game, which drew a lot of comments. He, of course, was fouled by the goalkeeper, uh, Mateus, the Braga goalkeeper, Mateus, who fouled him outside the box. 
he was deemed the last man and that resulted in um, a Mateus red card. I'm interested in your opinion on this whole situation because I found it quite annoying, to be honest, that the predictable narrative that was coming out about Meli Taremi diving because it was quite obviously and quite clearly not a dive. It was a very clear foul and there are very clear angles uh, that prove that it's not a foul. There's a very clear angle that shows uh, yeah, uh, that shows Mateus taking out Meli Taremi with his knee. I think it is. Um, and if you want to go and find those replays, you can. If you don't want to, uh, because it doesn't suit what, what you want to say about Mediterranean, you, you don't have to. And, and you can see from Mateus's reaction on the pitch that he knows it's a foul as well. So for me, that was quite disappointing. But it, it was interesting, the narrative coming out after the game, because he, he had a really great performance. His assist, I think for the mm. third goal, was absolutely phenomenal. Fair enough, Tormena. Um, another player that I think I jinxed by singing his praises. <laughs> um, gets beat a bit too easily, but it's, it's a wonderful touch, little nutmeg, and a really selfless um, pass from Mediterami to to guarantee the goal. And that's what I thought this performance was from Taremi. I thought it was selfless, you know, because he didn't get on the score sheet, but he almost put in a man-of-the-match performance. I, I think I saw a really interesting comment after the game, someone saying that Mediterami is one of the most intelligent footballers with the ball. Um, in the league and I think that's a really apt comment because he knows what to do with the football he knows when to give it he knows when to move it um, and he knows when he can gain an advantage for his team by by winning a foul so I, I, I really enjoyed this performance from Taremi weirdly enough without a goal and uh, yeah I'm just interested to hear what you thought about it as well yeah, no, I think I think in this game it certainly highlighted his all-round game. You know, there's some lovely drives forward, excellent passing, like you said, and some really good flick-ons as well. He's just offered so much. And I think, yeah, I mean, the whole thing about the diving thing, Albert, it, it, it does remind me a lot of um, people, the way people talk about Luis Suarez um, when he, you know, in, in his prime, really, where, you know, a, a, a fantastic striker, but obviously had that edge. And I, it's, I, don't know, I remember someone saying around that, that, if 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 he's if you support the team that Luis Suarez is playing, or if you support the team that Mediterranean is playing for, you will absolutely love this guy. You know, you, 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 it's, for me, it is part of the game. You know, and and he's you know he's been punished for it rightly so when he when when he's been caught out. He got a red card in the Champions League. You know, it, it does seem a shame because, like I said, I get I completely get you saying it's sort of distracting from the the you know the player we're witnessing. But I think that just comes with him, like it came with Luis Suarez. You know, that's that's just part and parcel of the person he is. Oh, but if if I may, I I wouldn't mind having a look at this from a, a Braga point of view. Because I don't know, maybe this is too harsh and I just seriously, but I feel like they were almost intimidated by the, the occasion or the or the magnitude of the game, you know. And it might be, you know, if I, maybe one player for me, Vitinha, I thought was the only player who looked up for it in this game. I think everyone else was just a bit shell-stocked. You know, the two, goal, the two goals just absolutely killed it. And I just didn't see... I was just really disappointed with the with the level Braga brought to this game. I think I was disappointed with how some of the bigger players didn't perform. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. Vitinha was pretty good, but... Uh, yeah, you, you don't really want to name names, but Ricardo Horta, I don't remember impacting the game. You know, Vitor Tomana, again... Not great in defence. Ali Almazrati as well. I had a real, real problem with his attitude for Eustachio's goal um, and a lack of tracking back. I, I, I think I described it on Twitter as unforgivable. The way uh, Ali Almazrati is ahead of Eustachio and, and has every opportunity to track his run and stop that goal, but just doesn't doesn't bother. Just jogs, um, and I think that attitude kind of summed up a lot of 
the Braga players. It's hard to know what you put that down to, though, because it's obviously not commitment. Like these players are obviously committed to winning the game beforehand. So I do wonder whether it's kind of subconscious, like nerves or or, or fear, or just being overwhelmed by the situation. Like this is a big game where they've got an opportunity to really put themselves in in the title race. Let's not forget that. I think this would have put them only one point behind Benfica, considering that Benfica drew. So. It was a real opportunity to move up the table and really solidify a, a title challenge. But again, it, it's also hard to criticise considering the amazing season they've had. And the thing I saw Braga fans talking about after this game is that, you know, it's still been a great start to the season um, and they're still in a very good position and probably a better position than they hoped they would be. They're joint on points in, with, with second place, although they find themselves in third based on uh, head-to-head. So... You know, it's a very disappointing result. And I was disappointed with the form performance, if I'm going to be honest. It wasn't necessarily a case of, oh, they did their best, but they got beat by a better team. I, I think they could have done better. I thought individual players could have performed better. And it was a bit of a, a whimper, if if that's if that's fair, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And sorry, before we, I know I moved on to Braga, but can I <laughs> there's a player I wanted to talk about for Porto, but I feel like we 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 perhaps haven't talked about enough on the in this podcast and, and that that's Pepe Aquino, the, the winger. I was just I don't know, I think he's a player who's really quietly just works his way into this team, played in a number of positions for Conscious Sal and and being very consistent that he was excellent in this game as well. You know, he's he's just growing and growing. So I think he's 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 gonna be a big player for them for the rest of the season now. Now he's sort of cemented himself in that starting eleven. We had another interesting question from uh, our friends at the Porto podcast in English. Um, it's a really good English language podcast about about Porto. The guys are are quite new to the scene, so if you haven't checked out already, definitely go and do so. They, the the quality of their output is really high, even though they've just started. So I definitely recommend that you go and listen to their guys' show. But they were asking us, Barney, if you think there was any difference in this win for Porto compared to past victories in the season. And just to start that off, I think I would say, yes, it did feel like, I think this is something you were saying at the beginning of this section, that it felt like a more complete performance and it felt like a performance closer to what they were doing last season and the season before that. It felt like more players were playing at their best. It felt like more players were contributing. Um, So I think there's a lot to be positive about. Obviously, it's been well-documented the tough start to the season that they had. But like I said at the top of this, they're now only three points behind the league leaders. You know, that's great considering the kind of panic, the panicked state that fans are in after a mm. couple of bad results in the low, in a row. Obviously, the uh, Rio Avalos was a bit of an embarrassing one. But now they find themselves in second place. They're three points off the title. There's a long way of the season to go. Let's not forget they're playing um, Benfica on the 21st of October. That's not far away at all. So, if they win that, they could be top of the table on head-to-head, you know. So there's a lot to be positive about. But the key thing that I said already is that they have to back up this win with consistency. We've seen them be too inconsistent. We've seen them have good results and then losing the Champions League or losing the league. So they have to back up this result with with a couple of wins. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything you say there. But I, and I think the thing I'd add, which is something I was actually going to bring up within the sporting game, but I think it's, it's also relevant for that question is... I don't think we've addressed it that much in this podcast, but the, the teams in Europe are, are facing a really challenging year with, with the, the amount of football. And, you know, they're not getting as many weeks off in between, you know, in previous seasons, we'd they'd play Champions League one week, have a week off, but, you know, it's it's like two games a week for pretty much every, every, every week. And 
I think that we are seeing the effects that on, on certainly Porto and Sporting, I feel. So, you know, the fact that they've had this international break and suddenly have come out the blocks absolutely flying in this game, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, I think there is something re- uh, linked to that. So, um, yeah, I think, like you say, that it would be a question of them being able to try and do that a bit more despite having the Champions League fixtures in the week. Absolutely. Well, like I said, that game against Benfica coming up quite soon. So that's another big test for Porto on the horizon. But if they win it, another opportunity to really get back into the title race. Well, let's talk about Benfica's game then, Barney. I just mentioned them there. Um, their winning run came to an end with a nil-nil draw away at Pretoria. But I think it's fair to say it probably could have been worse as Vittoria had two very big penalty shouts uh, in the game. One was given by the on-field ref and then reversed by VAR, but the other was not given by either the on-field ref or VAR. Two massive calls, and I think we have to start with that second one, which is the kind of infamous decision now as Andre Andre was seemingly fouled inside the box by Florentino Luiz in the dying minutes of the game and a penalty was not given. We're talking about VAR, Barney. Again, we're talking about refs, but they keep giving us an excuse. Well, and it's nice to be talking about it from the point of view of a, a, a non-big free team, isn't it? Because, <laughs> you know, we were having the same conversation a few weeks ago for about Benfica, weren't we? But yeah, just dreadful. It's really, really poor. And I really felt for Vittoria because the display in this game... Because look, Moreno, the, the, the job Moreno has done at Vittoria is... In my opinion, I'm unbelievable. I just did not see this coming at all, particularly after the departure of Pepe. You know, I just thought that was a club in real trouble. But they've got the third best defense in the league. You know, that's really important because they haven't got a particularly good squad. But if they can keep games tight, they'll earn valuable points for being so solid at the back. I find it hard to think of any sort of clear cut chances that Benfica had in this game. Oh, sorry, I've drifted away from the the, the penalty question because I, I don't know if you want to express your opinion. But you know, I've, the point I'm trying to make is that it, you know the, the the penalty calls just made it feel really unjust for the display that Victoria put in this game. No, you're 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 right to link it to their performance because I think it it, it tells the story of this game, which is that Victoria did so well to stifle the best team in the league. You know, they did so yeah. well to contain. Benfica. No one's done that yet. No one's done that yet, and and they did it really well. Um, one thing I will say, the atmosphere at the game looks uh, amazing. I know, you know, Victoria fans have had their problems. You know, we've talked about racism allegations for Victoria fans a couple of times. So they'll always be unfortunately tarred with that brush, their fan base. But the one thing you can credit the fan base for is an incredible atmosphere at this game. Um, what looked like a full stadium and that would have really helped push the team on. And it was that kind of performance where they they needed pushing on because it was kind of backs against the wall sort of you know they, they were defending really and, and they were that was their game plan was to was to stifle Benfica and they did it for 90 minutes and then they were almost rewarded twice you know with those two penalty calls the first one for the record I think was the correct decision to to cancel the penalty call that that first one I think it's um I forget the name of the striker but you know it was the right call the second one though Barney I'm in total agreement I just don't know I just don't know what's happening. Like, yeah, what is are we, what are we missing? Like, what are we missing? Because the video is so obvious. Andre and Andre makes his way into the box. Florentino brings him down without touching the ball. Where is the confusion? Where is the controversy in that decision? The sad thing is that VAR um, didn't even look at it. So that was what was disappointing. Again, we could be wrong. I, I, we might be missing something big. So if we are, please let us know. But from the videos that I've seen of that replay, I've watched them so many times now. I just, I cannot see, 
I cannot see what what the confusion is all about. Uh, but alas, it's still a decent result for Vittoria, who would have been pleased to keep a clean sheet. Um, Millbank's VSC, one of our followers on Twitter, who's uh, a good, a big Vittoria fan, someone we chat to about Vittoria quite a lot. He was asking about Ibra Bamba, Barney. I know he's a player that you've watched and how well he's been doing in midfield for Vittoria. I have to say, I think you've watched him more than me, but I know you're a fan, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been... He's been immense. And what's been so... I think traditionally he's a, he's a defence and midfield, but what Moreno's got him doing is sort of playing in between the three centre-backs and... Uh, sorry, in between the two centre-backs almost as a third one. And, and he hasn't looked out of place, you know. And, and he's aggressive, you know. He, he He's so quick to the ball. very And very instinctive as well is what I like. You know, there, there doesn't seem a moment of hesitation. You know, he sees danger and he, he he goes to it straight away. I mean, he's a fascinating player. I know Zach Lowey, friend of the podcast, has been hyping up as well. And rightly so, he's done a few good tweets about him. There. But the thing I like, you know, he's, he's I think he's from the Ivory Coast, but could play for Italy as well. And uh, Roberto Mancini has even had him uh, coming to some training sessions with the international team, you know. So it's going to be a big player, Albert. I think he's certainly one to keep an eye on. Definitely one to keep it on. And like you say, there is talent in this Victoria side and the manager is doing a good job. So for me, they're a very interesting team to keep an eye on this season because I'm not saying they're going to achieve great things because the squad is quite thin, but there's still talent in there. You know, this Victoria has always been a team to to follow and I, I don't think that changes this season. So, uh, there's two players I wanted to praise you know, cause it, who were playing in that back five. You know, a 20-year-old Z Carlos who they signed from Vrazim who's currently playing in the third tier. You know, and he's been really solid since filling for Mago who got injured. And also Afonso Freitas uh, on the other side. You know, it's, it's only his second start playing left wing back and he did extremely well. And it sort of goes back to my first point, you know, about how the job that Moreno is doing, you know, the fact that Vittoria are able to bring in these sort of players and they, and they perform well as a team, you know, because it's just credit to the organisation Moreno's put into the squad. Like people know what to do. People can just walk in and, and they'll feel comfortable. There's a cohesion. I just, I'm so, so impressed. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough. I just think I'm just Moreno's doing an amazing job. Lastly on Benfica, Barney, obviously we praised Vittoria for for stifling them, but considering the the kind of firepower that they've got and the players that they've got at their disposal, do you think do you think they did enough really to to break Victoria down and, and and try and get a winning goal in the end? I think it's really interesting because it's like you say, it's the first not stumbling but it's the first sort of disappointing performance we've seen with them, and I just felt that what we saw as the game progressed that the, the Benfica just got a little bit more desperate and. You know, they started shooting from outside the box when there was probably another pass to make. You know, sometimes it felt a little rushed. And then also you had Roger Smith bringing Brooks as a striker, which was quite funny at the time. And people were sort of putting a lot on that and saying, you know, has Schmidt run out of ideas? You know, is this really all we've got that we're going to do? But do you know what? I, I, when they had, a, when the two have got Amaro and Bamba, and who we talked about is not naturally a centre-back on, and there was an opportunity for them to be beaten in the air at that point, you know, and... and I've, you know, we've seen Sporting do it as well. It does work. I don't think we, I don't, the point I'm trying to make out is I don't think, you know, it, it might have seemed that it, it all got a little bit, oh, what the hell do we do? What are we do? Like, I, I I do think there was an idea with Schmidt. And also I do think there's going to be the old game that Benfica had. We've had Sporting and Porto being consistent. You know, I don't, I don't want to put too much on this, you know, whole like, oh, Benfica run out of ideas. You know, this was just a, a, a good performance from Vittorio. I know it was quite interesting a lot of the kind of almost outrage at, at John Brooks going up front for Benfica. Yeah, I guess yeah. a lot of people haven't haven't seen it before. I think it was I think it was Nino Torres who 
who sent us a message saying like, you know, what is he doing? It's funny, right? Because because uh, I support a team in the fourth division in England, right? And that's something that's not actually uncommon at that level of football. Nah. In the in the last five minutes, you throw your big centre back up front, basically just to be a physical presence, so you can lump the ball up top, and he'll bring it down or control it and just nudge it onto someone else. So uh, you know, it's not something that I'm unfamiliar with, although I don't usually associate it with clubs as glamorous as as Benfica. But I kind of got where. Uh, where we're just what was going from. The one thing I will say though is that Peter Moose is a big striker. He could not have tried the same thing with him. You know, I, I like who... the idea of Brooks only being used for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, as good as Antonio he... Silva's been, like he's not going to get in that back four. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did even too well playing up front. I don't think he achieved much, did he? Well, look, let's move on to a, a more positive result for one of the big three. Uh, as Sporting got another important win on their road to recovering their season. 3-1, they beat Gil Vicente at home. Uh, and it was a goal and assist from Hida Masamorita uh, in what was a standout performance from the Japanese midfielder. Uh, and a third goal from Machinia gave them that 3-1 win. For me, this performance was not just about the result, but about the way they played, because it was much more like the sporting that we've seen under Amarim in, in seasons gone by. Yeah, I remember saying... A few weeks back, I went on this podcast that, you know, Sporting's issues is perhaps their lack of creativity in midfield. But I feel like in this game, we, I think Amon must have given Marita, given the license to get so much further forward than we've seen in previous games so far this season. You know, because more often than not, when I feel like we watch, we've been watching Sporting this season, I feel like, you know, it's it's the wing backs who are getting forward ahead of the midfielders, the two midfielders of Garcia and Marita. But Marita just, in those positions, I mean, the assist for Pote was just the touch. The it just showed his credentials really as of how excellent a player he is. And you know, there was, it, you know, it got me thinking about it, that those horribly scary rumours last Christmas of a move to Hull from Marita. And if, imagine if he was in Hull now, <laughs> like he's so much better than that, isn't he? Like, and and I think this was a performance that that sort of really really showed that. It's funny because it's an it's almost similar to the Porto game, isn't it? You know, it's another performance from a big free club inspired by a new midfield signing who was signed from a, a lower mm. table team. And I'm really pleased that he is now impressing people because I think there's been question marks about Marita since the start of the season about is he good enough? Is he the right replacement for Mateus Nunes? He's such a different player from Mateus Nunes. It's like they're completely mm. different midfielders. So to compare them is really hard. And I think I think if you're being honest, Amarim has more work to do to get the best out of him in that in that side if he wants to. Because I think perhaps it's fair to say he's, you know, he's he's just not naturally going to slip into that Mateus Nunes role and do the same thing. But you're so right to point out that in this game he showed his credentials. Uh, the goal was was something we've seen him do for Santa Clara quite a few times. Mm. You know, he's not afraid to get into the box and and pick up goals here and there. But that touch and assist was just a bit of class that uh, you know we know that he's capable of. And and I'm glad that Sporting fans saw the best of him and, and he had a good game in a Sporting shirt for them to appreciate. I tell you what, I think helped him as well was um, Paulinho in the team. You know, because you know when he's in Paulinho's in that front three, where he's going to play, he's going to be up against the two centre-backs playing quite centrally in the middle. There's not as much fluidity going on. And that obviously makes, you know, with, with Paulinho up against the centre-backs, that creates that bit more space for Marita to push forward, I think, from that midfield position. So 
I think that really helps him. I mean, uh, another player, Albert, for me was um, Trincao. I think he's just looking at better and better. And, you know, there was, um, we, we were disappointed seeing Edwards drop from the bench. But I, I think realistically, if, if, you've, if you're going with Paulino through the middle, you know, Trincao does edge it for me. Uh, uh, ahead of Edwards and and, and Pedro Gosaris as well. So I think that was fair, although a very tough decision. Yeah, sim- it's similar, isn't it? It's it's tough because Trincao's starting to come into form. And, and interestingly, we saw the same thing today in the Champions League game where um, when Adan got sent off and they had to sacrifice one of the strikers, it wasn't Trincao that went off, it was Marcus no. Edwards. So it's difficult because he has been playing really well, Marcus, so I don't think he's getting dropped because of his performances. I think he's being dropped probably for systematic reasons. I think he prefers Trincao. And I agree. I think Paulinho, who was unlucky not to have a goal himself coming into this game, made a good impact and showed why he can be useful in, in that system in a sense. So, yeah, difficult for Marcus to be dropped, but positives all around the pitch for, for sporting. And one last one that I wanted to mention, Barney, was, of course, the centre-back that made his debut, uh, Jose Massa, uh, the former La Masia product. Uh, I didn't realise that, to be honest. I only had found out about that recently. In the absence of Coates, came in at, at centre-back in the back three, and I thought he was fantastic. You know, Obviously, he had that protection of experienced players either side of him, but he didn't put a foot wrong and, and didn't look out of place at all. So it was a really uh, accomplished debut for him. Yeah, no, I was I was very impressed with him. And I, I, you know, I was going to give some credit to this guy as well, playing at right wing back, you know, for, him, for the injured Porro. I think he looked... He looks much better in, in playing out wide rather than in the middle with the centre backs. I was very disappointed out with Jovicent. I remember texting you that when I saw the lineup, I thought that looked like quite a good good team for this game. And I think we've seen this a few times from uh, either Vieira's uh, team now is that there's not enough protection of the defence. You know, when you're playing, when you've got five at the back and you're only playing sort of one natural centre mid in, in, in Carvalho, you know, you've, well, who else you got? Fujimoto and Kev Lodgers either side, you're not going to get. They're not really going to get close to Maurice and Agate, are they? You know, but when they're playing so defensively, so yeah, I, I, I was a bit disappointed by that. But then to get a positive from it, Albert, I, and I, this this is not the first time I've thought this this season is that when they've when they've stuck on Elder Santana to play alongside Fran Navarro and they've gone with the two up top, I think they've looked better, and and that, that's how they got their goal. You know, it was to flick them from Santana on, onto Fran Navarro. That that seemed to work, and I think we're not seeing players get close enough to Fran Navarro. I think you know they they have they're having to do too much elsewhere, and I think maybe maybe there needs to be that little change of maybe going with the two strikers to help Fran Navarro. It was interesting. Ivo Vieira came out after the game and said he deeply regretted starting the game with three centre backs because obviously he did change the system. Mm. for this game and I, I wonder whether not only was that an incorrect tactical decision but whether that was the wrong mindset if he's kind of telling his team right for this game we're going yeah. defensive um, and perhaps that kind of fed into the way they played which I thought was quite negative um, like you say that having two strikers made the difference with the goal and I don't think it was just about having two strikers I think it was just about slightly more pragmatic football and I don't necessarily love it when small teams do this but maybe they were just a bit more attritional played tried to do less fancy stuff and just kind of hit Porto Sporting on the counter tried to be physical with the centre-backs you know they've got a a young kid making his debut at centre-back they should be putting Fran Navarro on him all game and trying to bully him get balls up to him and try and uh, you know, make his debut difficult, but they didn't really do that. And I, you know, the chances of them winning this game anyway were pretty slim. But 
it, it, it wasn't exactly a heroic performance that filled me with, with confidence. And I think if, if he thinks about Ivo Vieira, we'll look at the game and think he probably got a couple of things wrong. Well, let's move on and look at a little bit further down the table and talk about Family Cow, who got only their second win of the season under their new old manager, Joao Pedro Souza. Now, they beat Boa Vista 4-0 in an emphatic victory that I don't think anyone saw coming. They scored more goals in this game than in their previous seven games combined and made an inform high-flying Boa Vista side looked decidedly average. I'm not quite sure how they managed to pull out a performance this good in such a sport space of time under the new manager, but it was really impressive. I think it's something we see quite often now, but isn't it that... With the amount of rotation of managers in this league, you know, there's more often than not there is a, a new manager bounce. But I, I like the changes he made. You know, I think um, I was really impressed with. I, I thought it was called Puma, but it's, it's Jose Luis Rodriguez, the the, the Panama winger. He, he got the goal and assist in this game. I, but he was just so direct, you know. And what what this what he did, you know, he he got the crowd excited. You know, he he improved morale because right? I, I, you know, I remember there's a moment in the second half where he just received the ball in a half run and everyone stood up. You know, even though not much was going on, he was just running forward. It just they needed a player like that right now. They need that sort of change in thing. And 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 with Penetra sort of playing as a right back as well, looking very very good. He obviously he played a few useful balls up the line, kept Kenji Gori quiet. You know, he he couldn't get past him really and. There was just these these changes that and, and you know like I said this this boost in morale that 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 we, that we saw which I just felt just really helped them. It was funny because to me it all looked so simple. They mm. were just they were just committing players forward. You know it, it was it was very direct football and I don't mean by that you know long balls. I just mean every action was forward. Every pass yeah. was looking to move the ball upfield. They committed men into the box. When they attacked, you know, every time they attacked, they had three or four players in the box. Uh, they played the game on the front foot and I think they benefited from it. Maybe if we're being fair on another day, perhaps they don't get quite as lucky and take all four of the chances that they had this yeah. time. But playing the way that they did, they they can take a lot of confidence from this performance for this season because it showed what they've probably been doubting over the last few games, which is that they do have the quality in this side to win games if they play football. Uh, the right way. I want to ask you about Joe Pedro Souza, Barney, because obviously he's coming back to Family Cow now. He's well documented that he was the manager that took them uh, to within one game of European football. It was Family Cow's most successful ever season. Is it a sense of unfinished business, perhaps, with Joe Pedro Souza coming back? Potentially, it does fill me with a bit of confidence, you know, because I feel there's there's still a lot of players in that team who would have come up with him and. I feel like we've been saying it for the last few years now that they've been desperately looking for that sort of that old spark. That, you know, mm. that, that a lot of people have come in and tried to find it, but they, they haven't been able to. And do you know what just stuck with me, Albert? Asan Cow coming off the bench and getting a goal. You know, when you see the players come on, Asan Cow, Mora, Cadiz, they're all right players for this league, yeah. you know. And, and 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 then you've got the players on the pitch performing. I thought Zaydu Yusuf, you know, I, I know I always go on about him, the player this time for Santessian in the summer, but. He's just looking better and better in midfield. You know, such a great physical presence, stamina. He took his goal very nicely. But what, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that there's a lot of all right players there who, who might not have who might have unfinished business in this league. You know, it's it, it could be all right. Well, the one thing I will say is that I've always had the sense that since Rapid Souza left, 
And obviously when he left, they were performing badly. So I kind of understood why they let him go. But it it's felt like ever since they've left, they've been trying to recreate what they did in that season when, when they got to Europe. And, and they've never been able to do it for whatever reason. But maybe I'm crazy, but I just feel like with, with Jean Pedro Souza back, maybe... You know, maybe he is the right man to try and do it all again. Maybe lightning does strike twice. Who knows? We're not sure we can talk about Europe just yet. But like... <laughs> well, maybe not this season. No, no, of course. No, I'm not saying this season. I'm just saying this project that Family Akau have, because it, it's a, that's what this club is. You know, it's a project. It's not a historically big club. It's a, a small club that has had investment and, and you know, is, is it, to some extent, extent a, a project in terms of the signings that they make and who they employ. So, now that Joe Pedro Sousa is back, perhaps, you know, the right man um, to lead that project was right under their noses all along. Who knows? We'll see. Um, let's look at Bo Vista Barney. What do you put this loss down to for them? Because we've seen them play much better than this. We've seen them get better results than than we saw in this game. I couldn't work out when I thought about it quite what I thought was going wrong. But they definitely struggled to create their usual chances. I wonder if they perhaps didn't judge this game right in advance, perhaps they didn't see this performance from Famana Cal coming. Maybe they went into this game expecting to be the team on the front foot to dictate the way the game is going to be played. And the reality is that it wasn't like that. And perhaps they just weren't prepared for the reality of the game that came their way rather than what they'd planned for, or maybe even subconsciously assumed the game would be like. I don't know what struck me that the defense looked messy, you know, players caught out of position, not not closing down players. You know, like you say, Famana Cal were very progressive very you know getting players forward and I think that they got caught out quite a few times as well um and then yeah I found like I defended very well so they're, they're you know a couple of long shots from Akuta but like, like you know nothing really standing like yeah I just think it was just a bad game for them wasn't it really and and they're sort of in their right to have a bad game they've had an excellent start to the season you know um but yeah just just didn't like maybe I think you're right they just didn't didn't get the game right today for this one I always say the same thing after a result like this for a club like Boa Vista, but the next game is is important now. You know, it's up to them to 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 show whether this was a blip or whether this is going to be a longer patch of bad form. So I, I await their next game quite eagerly to see how they respond. Well, let's do our our last game for this week's podcast, and let's talk about Maritimo versus Casapia, uh, a game which Casapia won two one thanks to a controversial last minute penalty. Um, I think this is a candidate for the craziest game of the season so far. I mean, <laughs> you had so much going on, it was unreal. You had Maritimo's very lucky first goal, a goal which the goalkeeper inexplicably lets lets in. I couldn't believe that. Then you have the sending off for Casapia and a resulting penalty, which you'd think a club like Maritimo, desperate for a win, would do everything to bury, but they managed to miss the penalty. And then, of course, you now have the infamous penalty decision that went the other way and gave Kazapia the winner. I think we have to start there, Barney, just because it is the most uh, infamous moment of the game. It's been it's the moment that's been viewed by so many people on Twitter. Do you have any understanding as to why this penalty is given? Or can you offer our listeners an explanation, perhaps, as to what the referee is, is considering when he gives this penalty to Kazapia in the dying moments of the game? I've honestly got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no idea whatsoever. It was horrendous. And I don't know if he was just trying to make up for the sort of dodgy miss call he made. I, 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 I've honestly got nothing out of it. I was absolutely flabbergasted. I was really disappointed because mm. it's, it's, 
I don't want to get too deep, but like we we do a podcast on this league every week, uh, 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 trying to big up this league. It's, it's so so poor. I just don't understand. No, no. So we should try and describe the incident for anyone who's not. I'm sure most people have seen it, but for anybody who's not seen it, my the best way I can describe it is that it's you know it's the closing moments of the game. Casapira chasing the win. And so they put a, a a long diagonal ball into the box from just inside the halfway line. And a Maritimo defender and Kazapir attacker go to contest a header. So they both jump. Then they kind of collide and the Kazapir player falls onto the floor first. And then the Maritimo player kind of falls on top of him. Mm. And I'm not even sure which part of that incident is the part that the referee gave the penalty for. Is it the collision in the air? Is there a suggestion that it's an elbow, which there isn't by the way, or is it the suggestion that the Maritimo player falls on the Kazapir attacker? Either way, it's another unfortunate VAR decision that we've seen this week. I've got some interesting quotes to read from Maritima manager as well, Henriquez, who understandably after the game was unhappy about this decision and had some very interesting quotes. There's quite a few, Barney, so listen to these. He says, what happened is very serious. Don't play with Maritimo. Laws of gravity haven't changed and players can't stay in the air. <laughs> stay in the air. VAR should have reversed the decision. If this had happened to one of the big three, they would be talking about it for weeks. But we have to talk about it because this is serious and cannot happen in Portuguese football. I'm sure that in the opinion of 99.9% of football fans, there is no penalty. What will happen to Mr. Vitor Ferreira, who is the referee, and Mr. Fabio Mello, who is VAR? Will they be demoted to the second division? And then he finishes his uh, his list of quotes by saying, for some reason, we, as in Portugal, won't have any referees going to the World Cup. <laughs> it's, it's a fair point, man. I, I agree with him 100%. I know I've criticised Ryan Enrique as, as a manager, but he's absolutely spot on. His team have been stitched up massively by this decision. This is a team fighting for their lives at the bottom of the table. I'm not going to, ex- you know, we'll talk about the game in a sec. Look, let's make no mistake. Marito were poor in this game and they've been poor all season. They weren't great, but it doesn't matter if they play poorly. They're entitled to be entitled to be given a fair refereeing decisions in important moments of the game. It doesn't matter whether maybe Kazapir deserved to win the game on balance of what happened. The fact is that at that moment in time, they'd scored one goal each and Maritimo were on course to get a point, a point which would have given them a big confidence boost, you know, would have broken their their run of, of zero points and, and, and the referee has taken that away from them. Um, one of our followers and friends of the show, Richard Ennis, was asking us on Twitter, he says, two of the worst decisions... Uh, since VAR came in over the weekend, obviously referring back to the penalty decision at Benfica. He says, what can be done to make it work better? Um, I don't know if I if I have an answer to that because this is such a basic error that what can you even do to fix it other than asking the referees and the VARs not to make the wrong decisions? I know there are some suggestions about VAR that perhaps um, the conversations between the ref and the VAR could be, the audio could be included on the television, I know they do that in rugby over here in the UK. You can hear what the referee says, but it's so hard to think of a, a solution to to poor refereeing decisions like this, other than just don't be such a shit ref. I mean, I actually think Joe Henrique sort of touched touched it there about the being demoted to the second division because I know that happens sometimes here in England. But you know, the, the referees need to be held accountable for the, these bad decisions if if they are that bad as as this one was, and. I, they're not going to go down the route of, of, of uh, you know, broadcasting the conversation because, you know, that would just 
cause uproar in the media, but it's it's perhaps too far. But 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 something certainly needs to happen because it just seems to be getting more and more frequent. I, I I've got to be honest, Albert, I don't really remember talking this much about decisions in in previous years. It, no, certainly not as as bad as well as as, as sort of unexplainably bad. Yeah, and it's it's ruining games for the players and the staff and the fans and everyone watching. So uh, it really, really is a big issue. Um, let's talk about the game itself just briefly, Barney. Like I said, the fact that it remains that this is simply the worst Maritimo side that we've seen in a long time, certainly the worst Maritimo side that we've covered uh, on our years doing this podcast. But that said, to be fair to them, luck just isn't going their way. Obviously, like I said, they missed the penalty that they had. That was the hell of a save. It was a great save, but it's just like, come on, you know, Maritimo just try. They're just desperate for anything. They get that penalty, and and it doesn't go in. I, I'm starting to feel sorry for them, but the reality is that they are a dreadful team. And I was I was looking recently at what's the record for the lowest points total of a team in a Premier League season, and someone said it might be the Sportivo Arvish who got 17 points recently. And I think. <laughs> That'll I look at this Maritimo side and I, th- and I think where are 17 points coming from? They just cannot beat any team for love nor money at the moment. No. Oh, yeah. Because Jadas, who missed the pen as well, but he also got that the fortunate goal. And uh, I don't know. Uh, he gives me a, a little glimmer of hope. But, uh, I've said that before. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know where they go out. But I mean, I mean, uh, perhaps doing Casapia sort of disservice because, you know, they, I thought they did play all right, you know, but certainly for um, the the, the equaliser because that that play was just beautiful to watch. I mean, Lelo, the the left back, is, uh, I texted you before this podcast. You know, I'm I'm falling for him. You know, he was just he's so such a good player. And uh, do you know what? I, I'm uh, it's, it's perhaps an easy thing to say, but you know, some uh, that good a left wing back, you know, could be picked up by a, a Sporting. You know, for that system, I just like it'd be a perfect fit he's so he's you know his run was just ridiculous you don't you know you don't see many players pulling off a run like that you know he just seemed to get that that touch just when he needed it every turn and yeah uh, yeah really really good for me he, he is the number one revelation of of this Casapia side I think he is I think he is the best football player in that team and with his age and and I love his background as well I know people might not care about the same stuff as me but I love the fact that he's an Algarve boy and he's never played for a big free club at youth level. And, you know, he's made his way through at Olyanens and that, and now he's in the Premier League. He's playing for Portugal under 21s. So I'm a really big fan of his. And I think he he stood out in this game. And and like I said, I think if we're being fair, Casapia would a better team in this match. Uh, and of course, they will take this win, even if it came through slightly dubious penalty. And the thing we have to say, Barney, is that it's a win that puts them in fourth place in the table. That is a completely phenomenal league position. I don't think anyone predicted that before this season started. Um, we've praised them so many times already this season. There's been so much said about them uh, already this season. But I think after another great three points, we have to give them credit for what has been an, just an incredible fairy tale season. Similarities to Esther last season, Albert. Yeah. You know how 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 surprised how good they were straight away from the off, and you know the thing of Vestra was that, it, that there was serious talk about the European places, but then that sort of tailed off, and it, it, you know I'm not sure we're quite at the same stage yet to be having that conversation about Casapia, but 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're, they're playing extremely well, looking like it's a really, really good team. And we had a comment from uh, one of our followers, Jack Hacken, who says, with Felipe Martins doing so well as Casapia manager this season, what could his prospects be to become a manager of one of the big clubs in the league? Or will he end up going for the oil money in the Middle East, such as Ricardo Suarez? And it's interesting that he brings up Ricardo Suarez because we have had this conversation about so many managers, even in just the last two years, um, Pinheiro from Estoril that you mentioned last season Ricardo Suarez is another one there are so many managers that that come up on the rise uh, and then perhaps don't go where we expect them to go or go where we hope them to go or, or get the opportunities that we hope them to have but the, the man's doing himself great credit with with the way he's leading this Casapia side this season the thing I think is slightly different, Albert, is um, he seems a little bit smarter. I think the tactics, and I, I, you sent me this earlier this month, Albert, that there was um, on TotalAnalysis.com, um, sorry, TotalFootballAnalysis.com, um, Owen Borman, uh, who people will be able to find on Twitter, did a sort of ta- a breakdown of Casapia and the way how they're playing. And it's absolutely fascinating when you when he, when he digs down and you see exactly what Felipe Martins is doing. He's doing everything you know the, the team a, a, a smart and attack the smart defense it's just yeah i recommend everyone read that we'll, we'll definitely retweet that out because yeah i think that that's the difference for me albert is that i feel like there's there's a bit more going on with felipe martins you know in, in, in the control of the team the tactics they're using you know i think there's more than perhaps ricardo suarez and bruno Pinero we've seen you know who who are good man managers i think they've assembled good teams but i think felipe martins that tactical side is the difference and and why we might see him, you know, get, get you know, progressive in the league and then maybe into Europe. Absolutely. And just another in the long list of reasons to uh, to keep an eye on Kazapir this season. Well, look, that's the last game we've got time to cover on this week's podcast. But just to keep you up to date with all the other results from the Premier League this weekend on Saturday, Vizela beat Portimonense 1-0 in a really valuable Result for Vizela, who've had a little bit of a slow start to the season, but it's three points on the table that they will be very grateful of uh, against the Portimonense side, who've done quite well at the start of this season. Chavez and Estoril also played out a 1-1 draw on Saturday in the tightly contested game. On Sunday, you had Rio Ave, um, again, a valuable win against Santa Clara. Santa Clara really struggling and finding themselves down the bottom end of the table, which has been disappointing to see. What was that... Um... Stat you texted me about is it Rio have got the highest amount of goals from the lowest amount of XG in the in the whole of Europe. I love that stat. And Yakubu Aziz is, is a big part of that. He's yeah, a big yeah, part yeah. of that. They've got a striker in good form. So uh Rio have a team that have definitely impressed me this season. And also on Sunday, Pastor Ferreira, uh desperate for their first win, managed to get another point. So they're really claw- clawing themselves, clawing their way uh up the table in terms of points they're now on two points with two draws uh from eight games so they're struggling really struggling this season well that brings us to the end of the show and just leaves us to do what we like to do at the end of every episode of the long ball football podcast which is to pick a couple of games that we recommend you watch uh, on this upcoming weekend of primera league of football and Barney, as always, I'll let you go first with your choice of games to watch this weekend. Oh well, Portsmouth's Porto. I, I like the look of. I think that could be a nice little, nice little matchup. That's on uh, six o'clock on Saturday. But if I was going for the the sort of niche choice, 
Casapia Vizello, because you said it, Albert, people need to start watching Casapia. Vizello, we always like, they've they put in a good game. And I think that would be a quite a close, close matchup. That's Sunday at six. That was one that definitely caught my eye as well. I think the Friday night game could be a decent game, actually. That's Gilles Vicent versus Estoril uh, at 8.15 on Friday. Gilles Vicent coming into form. Estoril, we know, have done well this season. So two evenly matched teams, that I think that could be a good game. And the other one that caught my eye, Barney, was uh, 8.30 on Sunday. So that's after Casapia, if you fancy doing a little double bill. Braga versus Chavez. Braga at home, so expected to win. And of course, Braga have been playing really well. But I've just got a feeling, Barney, Chavez have been a very mm. interesting team to watch this season. They've done quite well in big games. Uh, Braga will be hurt, of course, after that result against Porto last weekend. So I've just got a feeling that that game right there is a game to keep an eye on. Maybe if there isn't an upset, at least you'll watch a great team in Braga playing great football uh, that we've seen them play so many times this season. And of course, Barney, we should talk about the Monday night fixture because... It was something, it was actually quite funny, wasn't it? We did a tweet last week about an idea we had and that we actually spoke about after recording last week's show uh, about a live Monday night football event where you could join us uh, in watching the Monday night game. Now, it might sound like a strange idea, but essentially me and Barney have uh, this kind of running joke that the Monday night game on of a Premier League weekend is the most obscure game. It's usually two of the most random teams um, and it's on it always at a really strange time on a Monday. So what better game would there be to kind of set up as a, a Monday night football watch along? <laughs> it sounds a bit strange, but genuinely, I think Monday night's a good time. You know, people aren't busy. It doesn't yeah. clash with anything. And there is this kind of humorous side to the idea that it's it's the worst game of the weekend, but that's the one that we're going to we're going to celebrate. And definitely the Monday night game coming up on the 10th of October is uh, Aruka versus Family Cow. Now, <laughs> I said to Barney before Joel Pedro Souza joined Family Cow that this was a candidate for worst game of the season so far. <laughs> <laughs> but now Joel Pedro Souza's back. I think maybe it could be an interesting game. So me and Barney haven't decided whether we're actually going to pursue this idea yet. There's a lot of logistics that would have to go into it that we would have to discuss about if it's possible. But we had quite a good response on Twitter and it is something that we would like the idea of just I think there's a lot of people like me and Barney who are interested in this league, but maybe don't have a lot of people to chat to about it or don't really watch these games with other people. So the idea of a lot of, of people watching the game together, kind of building a community around uh, the Primera Liga could be an interesting one. So keep your eyes peeled because we're not promising anything, but if we we'll, we'll talk amongst ourselves about making something happen um, maybe in the near future. And, and if it's something that you like the sound of, don't be don't be shy. Let us know because it's something that we want to know people are interested in before we we try and do it. Just because it probably would take um, quite a lot of effort. So yeah, drop us a message or, or leave us a comment or something like that to let us know uh, whether that's something you'd be interested in. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. A written review and a five star rating would do wonders for our uh, visibility on Apple Podcasts. Or you could leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, which would be a great help as well. You can contact us on Twitter, at LongballFootball, uh, and we're always happy to get involved in your conversations, whether you want to DM us or send us a comment. We're always happy to chat to you guys about anything that's on your mind uh, about Portuguese football. But that just leaves you to say thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.